0: Good morning once again, Crossroads. We're going to be, once again, in our summer series uh, inspired by A.W. Tozer, The Pursuit of God. And once again, he says, For it's not mere words that nourish the soul, but God Himself. And unless and until the hearers find God in a personal experience, they are not the better for having heard the truth. So we know the Bible is not an end uh, to itself. It's not... Just about receiving information, but it's a, it's a means, uh, it's an intimate means by a means which we can experience God and satisfy, have a satisfying knowledge of God. What is hearing truth without knowing God in a personal way? What is learning about the Bible and hearing all these stories and yet miss Jesus at the center of all of it? So hearing something and seeing something and yet not understanding what that something is, may we truly delight in God's presence. May we taste and see that the Lord is good. And may we know the inner sweetness of God himself and invite him to dwell in the core and in the center of our hearts. Two weeks ago, we we went over finding God And then last week we focused on hungering after God. But I still submit to you that we still need to go deeper. I still believe that there is the more. The more. We'll still need a deeper relationship with God. And I believe that when we understand about the veil, we're going to talk about the veil this morning, its significance, and how it hindered people from approaching God, I believe we'll have a better understanding of how we can approach Him today. And now that the veil in the temple is torn in two, We no longer have a barrier that divides us. We no longer have a barrier that stops us from entering into His presence, a barrier that stops us from having direct access to God. And while we technically have direct access to God, I wonder about this veil that we have in our heart that hinders us from approaching God, from going deeper with God. This veil of our heart hinders us from going deeper and gaining access into God. I've held this message, the tearing of the veil. The tearing of the veil. Would you please stand with me for the reading of God's Word? We're going to be in a different translation today than I normally use. I like the way it read today. And have your Bible, follow in your Bible, and don't get all caught up that it's a different translation, please. Um, this is the New Living Translation, Hebrews chapter 10. Verse 19 and following up to verse 25, and you should have, it should be on the PowerPoint and handouts and electronic devices and all that other stuff. Um, So, starting at verse 19 of chapter 10. And so, dear brothers and sisters, we can boldly enter heaven's most holy place because of the blood of Jesus. By his death, Jesus opened the new and living life-giving way through the curtain into the most holy place. And since we have a great high priest who rules over God's house, let us go right into the presence of God with sincere hearts, fully trusting him for our gu- guilty consciences have been sprinkled with Christ's blood to make us clean and our bodies have been washed with pure water. Let us hold tightly without wavering without wavering to the hope we affirm for God can, Be trusted to keep his promises. Let us think of ways to motivate one another in acts of love and good works. Let us not neglect our meeting together, as some people do, but encourage one another, especially now that the day of his return is drawing near. Father God, God, we understand that we can have direct access to you, Lord, because of what you've done at the cross, the temple veil is torn, Lord Jesus, torn in two. And now we can confidently approach you, God. Anoint these words, I pray. Give us, give us eyes to, to see and ears to hear, Lord God. Open up our minds right now so that we can draw closer to you and begin to, to just realize your presence. Holy Spirit, move. Move, I pray, Lord Jesus. Bless this time in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. Smile as you're seated. It's always helpful. Not only to me, but to those watching. Good smile goes far. I was watching this thing once on TV where there was a leadership training on TV in another country and they mandated showing five teeth. It says, really hard not to smile and show five teeth. Now you don't have to open your whole mouth because we're not doing a a, 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 you know looking into your mouth. But if you show five teeth, you very often smile. So anyway, you can take that to the bank. That's a, a free one for you for today. God formed us for His presence, His pleasure. God formed us for His pleasure. One of Augustine's famous sayings was, "Thou hast formed us for Thyself, and our hearts are restless till they find rest in Thee." And I believe that he simplified the origin and history of the human heart and the inner man. God made us for himself and for his pleasure. And this is the only explanation that truly satisfies the heart of a thinking man or woman. At least I believe that. Our education system often wants us to conclude a very different thing about us and about God. Why are we here? Where did we come from? How do things come that are today? How do things exist? But to me, it's simple. It's real simple. God created us. And deeply rooted in our DNA, we know this and we understand this. And in fact, we yearn for God. For God formed us for His pleasure. And so we have this longing inside of us to know Him more. A thirsty heart. And and this can never fully be satisfied outside of His will and His ways. Never fulfilled outside of God Himself. And it's God who awakens this inside of us with the touch from God. And no other proof is actually needed. Our restless hearts yearn for God who can be known. He can be known, church. And He has created us for His pleasure. And while we unite with Him and live for Him, we are truly satisfied. That's how it works. God formed us for Himself. It's that simple. But we must answer this question for ourselves. It's just the way it works. If God formed us for His sake, then what are we to do? What are we supposed to do? My answer is a simple answer as well. Respond to Him, obey Him, enjoy Him, enjoy His presence. The great philosophers of old broke this down to a very simple Westminster confession of faith called the Shorter Catechism. They had a question that they posed to us. What is the chief end of man? And the answer is, man's chief end is to glorify God and enjoy Him forever. Revelation chapter 4 verse 11 says, Thou art worthy, O Lord, to receive glory and honor and power, for Thou hast created all things, and for Thy pleasure they are and were created. God formed us for His pleasure. And yet, we can enjoy Him back. That's a great concept. We can enjoy Him back. We can have communion back with Him on a regular basis, on a daily basis. He designed us so that we can draw nearer to Him. That's how we're designed. We desire Him inside. We have the ability to love back, to give back. But we also have a choice to hold back and to break the relationship and communion with Him. And we do that by our actions and our attitudes and our deeds. We do that in how we live our life. And so often we cease to obey Him and commit to Him and yearn for Him. And so we stop longing for His presence. And while He's omnipresent and He fills the earth with His presence and perfection, His manifest presence is something else. Because we know that Adam hid from God. We know that Peter departed. said, depart from me, O God, I'm a sinful man. So while he's everywhere, we could hide from his presence. We can live in such a way that we don't see him around us and feel him around us and experience his presence around us. Sin separates us from God. And the entire work of redemption is to bring us back into his union or complete that relationship with him. Man revolts against God And that causes a divide between God and man. And so we lost his presence. And we are now distant from God. But we know his prevenient grace is still working within us. We know that he is wooing us. That he desires to have more of us and want more of us. And God is initiating a desire to return back to him. To turn back to his presence. And there's something in us. There's something built into our DNA that says, I need more. I want to return. There's something longing inside of you. And I believe you want more. But there's a barrier deep within us that hinders us. And we see this being displayed in the Old Testament. And we're going to take a little look, a quicker look at the tabernacle and the temple. And so some people might say, well, what is the tabernacle? What is the temple? I think very often it breaks down to two things. How was it built and why was it built? And initially, we know that man worshiped at handmade altars. We see this pattern being portrayed uh, with Abraham, with Isaac, with Jacob, with, with Job. But during the time of Moses, God centralized worship into a tent. Into a tent. And it was the center of their camp. Every one, the 12 tribes, would circle around this tent and so it was the center of their life and the opening of their tents are going to face this this tent in the center of camp and it's called the tabernacle and this would also house the ark of the covenant and other articles we know that the tabernacle that term means dwelling place dwelling place it's where god can be found where god dwells it's where we will find his presence the tent is divided into two rooms The holy place and the holy of holies. And these rooms were separated by a large veil. It was huge. It was thick. It was a drape. And they believed that it was 60 feet high, 30 feet wide, 4 inches thick. One rendering said it took 300 priests to carry it and move it. This was heavy. This was massive. We also know it was Exodus chapter 26, verse 30 says, "...it was beautiful in colors." Blue and purple and scarlet. finally twisted uh, linen with a cherubim. Uh, worked into the fabric by a skilled craftsman. Specifically designed by God. And that craftsman, I believe, was even created for this purpose. I believe all God's beauty and things that he made are just so beautiful that we just can't really always fathom it. But this was a very large veil, not your ordinary drape that you have in your house. The holy place is where the table of showbread, the golden lampstand, and the altar of incense sat. And the holy of holies was where the ark of the covenant is now being placed. And the holy of holies was accessible only once a year during Yom Kippur, the day of atonement. And only the high priest was able to go into this room during that time. And there's a process that must be followed. Certain clothes must be worn, washing a certain way, uh, even burning the incense uh, in such a way that the smoke would block you having direct access to God. It would block your eyes. So you would not see and come into direct contact with God. And if you entered with sin or approached God carelessly or inappropriately, you could immediately die. Approaching God directly was a serious business. The tabernacle or the tent was also portable. It was made to be set up and made to be moved as God directed. And this is a tent. And the people of God would also follow. And once again, they would set up their camp around and surrounding this tabernacle. And so there's life lessons that I believe that are there for us today. God is supposed to be at the center of our life. When you wake up, when you go to sleep, You can't help but see God in the center, in the middle of your life. Directing you, leading you, showing you what you ought to do. It's powerful when you start seeing Him in the center of your life. Every day you see Him. Every day there would be sounds and smells coming out of the tabernacle. But even though God wants a relationship with man, direct access to God is limited. Now, King David comes along. We know a man after God's own heart. And he pondered these things. And he pondered, how could I have a palace? How could I live in a palace, a beautiful palace, when God is living or dwelling in a tent? And so God hears his heart and and gives him plans for a more permanent structure, a tabernacle, which is called the temple. But David was a man of war. And so God had other plans. God allowed his son, King Solomon, to actually build the temple. And so the tabernacle was a tent and was designed to be portable. Whereas the temple was stationary building. It was a permanent dwelling. And it was designed differently, with different motives than the tabernacle. The temple was going to be a house of prayer for all nations. And why was these things built? Well, the tabernacle was built for the Jews. But the temple was built for all people. It was built even by Jews and pagans, whereas the tabernacle was built by the Jews. You see, God wanted to save all mankind, not just the Jews. So the temple, God's dwelling place, is now for all people. And we will find his presence there. But even still, there's a barrier between man and God. And so while we're not going to go into all these uh, artifacts that are found in the temple and all these things that are there, we do. this is something that we'll have to pick up another day and go a little bit deeper in. You will see God revealing himself to people in various ways. And we see that the outer court, the returning sinner would offer the blood sacrifice on the brazen altar. He would wash himself in the laver. He would pass through the veil and enter into the first section of the holy place. And there he would see the golden candlesticks and the showbread. And this was symbolic of Jesus, symbolic of the bread of life. And then the altar of incense representing the unceasing prayer. And so we see there's a process here, an entire process here of entering into worship. It's a process. And yet still not making into the presence of God. Because of this veil, this large, thick veil that blocked you from entering his presence. And while God has formed us for his pleasure, sin has separated us from his presence. Man focuses on his pleasure. Man focuses on his pleasure. And while this might be a very subtle thing, if you look very closely at my two points, I have the word him to represent God in the capital H and Him to represent man with a lower H. And again, this is a subtle change, but I believe it makes a world of difference because we were formed for God and His pleasure, not for our own pleasure. But as we put God first and we seek Him first with all our hearts and we obey His commands and follow His ways, we in return will be satisfied beyond measure. All that we need, all that we want in life, can be fulfilled in Christ. It's so simple. Yet we have made this approaching God so compli- so complicated right now. It's hard to understand. The Lord has come to set us free. The Lord has come to set you free. And in Him, we find freedom. In f- Christ, we find c- freedom. And today, through Christ, through His death, through His resurrection... We gain access to God. In Matthew chapter 27, the Lord says, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And the moment, and when Jesus cried out at that moment, that loud voice, he gave up his spirit. And at that moment, verse 51, at that moment, the curtain of the temple was torn in two from top and bottom, the earth shook, and the rocks split. The tombs broke open, and the bodies of many holy people who have died were raised to life. You see, only Jesus can conquer death. He was the one raised on the third day. And the veil in the temple was torn in two, giving us direct access to God now. The tombs are broken open. Bodies are released from the grave. That's crazy to me. That's crazy. It's an amazing thing. It's so important for us to understand because of the Christ's death on the cross, man no longer needs to be separated from God. And we can have confidence to enter the most holy place by the blood of Jesus, by his death. Jesus opens up a new and a life-giving way through the curtain into the most holy place. The very presence of God is now open to all who come by faith. Where before there was a barrier, a veil, now that veil has been broken. It's torn in two and we gain direct access. And with this, we no longer need to go to a priest to perform sacrifices on our behalf. We have access to our high priest, which is Jesus Christ himself. And since we have a great high priest who rules over God's house, let us go right into his presence. Let us go right into his presence of God with sincere hearts, fully trusting him. For our guilty consciences have been sprinkled with Christ's blood to make us clean, and our bodies have been washed with pure water. Let us hold tightly without wavering to the hope we affirm. Yet, many of us, most of us, have chosen slavery and bondage, emptiness, pain, suffering, and even death over Christ. Now, why is that? Why do we choose these things over Christ? Because many of us have built a veil. Over our own heart. Have you built a veil over your heart? Have you done that? Many of us have. And you don't even realize. That you've done this. And this tearing. Of the veil. Our own personal veil. That tearing away of it. Is going to cause pain. Because you can't get to Christ. Without going through the cross. Without the shed blooding. His blood was shed. And while God has rent the veil, it's torn in half, it's gone away, we have direct access to God, we can go boldly before Him. We no longer need that priest or that rabbi or even the pastor to enter into God's presence. We're free to go the way we are anytime we wish, anytime of the day. We now have direct access to Him. We don't need permission from anybody anymore. We don't need to be perfect. We don't even need to come sinless or wash our clothes first. We come with our filthy rags. We come broken. We come as we are. But we need to make a decision. And we must come by faith. Humbling ourselves in the sight of the Lord knowing that He wants a relationship with us, knowing that that we were formed for His pleasure, knowing that He has reached out to us first, knowing that He made that first move towards us, and He made it in such a way that we can get closer to Him, to find Him, to reach out to Him, to hold on to Him, to embrace Him, to know Him. And He did this all through His Son, Jesus Christ who the world hates and the world rejects. But let me tell you, church, coming to Jesus is not easy. It's a process, and it can cause you pain. Too many churches are just painting it out to be a nice rose garden. Find Jesus. Two dollars on the corner, and all is right. It's ridiculous. It's a process. It will cause you pain because of sin hurts. Sin violates. Sin destroys. And we have our own veil in our heart. And each one of us need that veil removed. It's personal. It's deep and it's rooted deep inside us. It's insidious. And we just gloss over it. We look over it. And we just look at things so often from the outside. The outside of us. And that limits us in finding God or hungering after God. We so often look at our idols. Our career our money, our success. And so often we put our friends and our family above God. But understand this, all these things are outside of you. So you can easily see it if you just look and remove them if you want to. You can do that almost in your own power in a sense and get rid of those things that are, that are stopping you from gaining access to God. But what happens, I want you to get this, what happens if it's something deeper? something deep or something rooted deep within yourself what if that something is your heart it's a heart issue what happens if that deep rooted issue of your heart and it's in your soul maybe you're holding on to things when you were a child things deep within yourself that you have never dealt with since you were a child sins of old sins of your forefathers Sins that have been haunting you for decades and years and generations, repeating those same sins, repeating those same crimes, repeating those same mistakes. Have you ever thought that you've been dealing with it from the outside of you and not looking deep inside of you, deep within your heart, deep, deep in your heart? Jeremiah 17.9 says, The heart is deceitful above all things, desperately wicked. Who can know it? But we still need to search and look deep within ourselves in order to deal with these innermost things. You need to tear the veil of your heart that's blocking you and hindering you from gaining access to God. This is a tearing, uh, uh, a tearing away, and, it, can, and it's, it, it sheds blood. It hurts. It's painful. But it must happen, and it must happen in a very personal way. Each of us must take this very personal journey towards Christ. Each of us must go through the cross to get there. And so there's pain. There's shedding of the blood. Now listen, I'm not telling you to rip out your heart and get a heart transplant, right? Let's not take some of this stuff so literal, right? I am saying, God, that God needs to deal with each of us in a very personal and real way. And while you might say I'm saved, And that's great. You're saved from death and saved from hell. But you might not have dealt with these issues that are lingering and hindering you from gaining access and going deeper with God the Father. You still have a veil that's in your heart. And while the veil and the holies of holies have been rent in twain, ripped in two from top to bottom, and we do have full access to God, and he speaks with us, and know that you can speak with him directly, many of us, have still this unresolved sin. We have built this own veil, our own veil in our hearts, and that has, a, that, that has allowed sin to block our access to God. And deep within us, deep within our, our hearts, are, are these unrepented sins that we call self-sins. The sin of self-righteousness, the sin of self-pity. The sin of self-confidence and self-admiration, self-love, self-sufficiency. The sin of self-promotion. And the list goes on and on. And these sins lie deep within us and so much part of our sin nature to come to our attention. It doesn't happen until the light of God is focused upon them. And we see this coming out in all types of people. All types of people from all different types of backgrounds. We see that coming out. Even people of the cloth. We see that. We see them seeking self-promotion under the guise of promoting Christ. That happens all the time. Leaders find themselves often being caught up in self-pity and depression because they're not where they want to be or they're not as successful as they thought they should be by now. But they're often looking at the external things to them and they're not focusing on God when they do that. They're focusing on themselves. They're focusing on the outward appearance of things. And they too need to tear the veil that stops them from getting closer to God. None of us are above this or beyond this. And if we truly deal with the past, if you you truly have torn the veil in the past, Satan and his minions are just waiting to bring it back up and tell you, you failed. You're a failure. You're a loser. You have made mistakes. If we're not careful... It gets mustered back up and says, you're lacking. You're not doing what God called you to do. It's not enough. You can't do enough. And you start believing all these lies. And it brings you back in a mess in your mind. It messes with your mind. But but, but this time it's even worse. because, Because you dealt with it once. And you dealt with it years ago. And now you're back dealing with the same junk again. And so it messes your mind. And now it's even worse. Because you're like, I dealt with this before. I laid it at the altar already. Now I'm back doing the same nonsense again. And it just keeps messing with your mind. You're not alone. You're not alone. We all feel this way at times. And I, I'll be bold enough to say it. If you don't, you're probably lying. All right? Because, because the great Elijah found himself in deep depression. He, 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 he was... He wanted to die because he focused on Jezebel, right? That was external to him. He focused on Jezebel instead of focusing on God. But these are external things to him. And it got into his mind. And I would submit, it's external to him. It's external to him. And these are external issues to him. But he allowed it to get into his mind. There was tiredness of the heart. There was weariness of ministry. And a life that caused him to focus on outward things. And he missed the inward dilemma of his heart. And that inward dilemma took his eyes off God. Took his eyes off God. Great leaders have fallen because they allowed the heart issue to overtake them. And so we're not judging you this morning. We're warning you this morning. Great people before you have fallen because they allowed their heart, their inner man, their inner being, their soul, to be overwhelmed with things external to them instead of focusing on God himself. It's only through the power of Christ that we can overcome the power of self-sins and fear and the veil be brought down from our heart. It's only through Christ's power. But while that power is true, while that power is real, while Christ came to conquer these things, The self often lives unrebuked at the altars. We so often watch these victims die slowly because the flesh is so strong. Self is often the opaque veil that hides the face of God from us. It can only be removed in a spiritual experience, never by mere instructions. You can't rebuke the leprosy through instructions, through mere words. It's done only through the power of God. We may lay our self-sins at the feet of the cross, but with that comes suffering and pain. Because laying it there, it must be killed. You must lay it down, and there's a price that needs to be paid. The veil of our body surrounding our heart is not made with physical tissue, but living spiritual tissue. And to touch it or alter it is going to cause you pain. To do that, you need to die to yourself and to live in Christ. And let me tell you, it's never fun to die. It's not fun to die to yourself. The self wants pleasure. The self wants more. The self can never be fully satisfied. So always pressing for more stuff, more things, more success. I want more of the garbage the world has. That's, that's selfishness always pressing always desiring for more that this earth and life can really give you there's always a measure which a man strives for and yet it can never he can never fully reach it you see as a man gets closer to it as a, as a lady or man human beings get closer and closer to success or whatever success means to them the mark moves the mark moves it can never be fully satisfied We've talked about in our worship team about perfection and, and excellence. Perfection can't be hit. It always moves. And what's perfect today is not perfect tomorrow. But, but, but you can have excellence. You can strive for excellence. You can strive for a range of excellence. But perfection, that, that, that mark, is you make it or you don't. And so when we try to get perfection, we fail at it. We focus on self. We focus on fleshly things. And when we do that, death and sin and pain and lacking and wanting is what is received. So in these next closing moments, only Christ can fully satisfy. Only what God has done that we do for God will last. Only what is done in the spiritual realm will last because this earth and this universe is going to burn up by fire and it's going to be consumed But what we really need in this life is the fire from heaven to fall down and seize the inside, the innermost parts of your being, to burn with the zeal of God and the passion of God and the power of God, to split and burn up that veil in our hearts that separate us from accessing God. And it limits us. So that veil needs to be broken. So we have no limit on what we're doing through God's power. We need that new fire, that fresh fire from God to come down and consume us and cleanse us and purify us and fill us with His presence. We cannot tear this veil on our own. Wishful thinking will not do it. Positive thinking will not get you there. You cannot break down these walls on your own. It's only through the power of God. God must do all the work. We must confess. We must forsake, deny, repudiate the self. We need to crucify it. We must allow God to fully do the work in us. But that takes yielding. That takes pain. That takes trusting. And there's a process. Trust. Obey. Respond. So many claim healing. And are saved. I believe that. And I believe most of us in this room are saved. But we see the flesh living strong in some of us. And and you can't see it very often because your eyes are cloudy. And your heart is deceived. Self-crucifixion is not the answer. Lying to yourself is not the answer. It's only through the power of God, the shed blood on the cross. Only by faith in Him alone... Can this veil be broken and be removed from your life? If you don't know Jesus Christ in a personal way, speak with him. Speak with him like you're speaking to your neighbor or someone on the phone. Tell him your fears. Tell him your concerns. Tell him your heart. Speak with him. Repent for your sins. He will hear you. He will hear your cries. And he will respond with his presence. We need to die to self and then be resurrected.